Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast is Fresh Roasted Coffee. It's a new year. Let's get you some great tasting coffee to help you start your day off right. Whether you're shopping for coffees, teas, syrups, mixes, mugs, gift cards, and more, when you get to checkout, enter in the promo code CANWEGET20 to get 20% off your first purchase of the delicious coffee that helps Nick and I get through these episodes. Head to our sponsors at FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, the Chinese are flying a balloon over Montana. That sentence is not a typo. The House GOP are full of hot air like a balloon. Eh, Maybe. As a key member of the Foreign Affairs Committee is removed, Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks an elementary school got $5.1 billion, Nick. Good Lord, that's a lot of money! (laughs) Plus, former DOJ prosecutor... CNN legal analyst, host of the Third Degree podcast, and author of the new book, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. Our buddy Ellie Honig is back on the program. Ellie's going to tell us all about this great new book, how fitting the timing about how powerful people get away with it. He's going to help us break down as well. All the legal news uh, that's been surrounding a bunch of different things from the classified document stuff to that recent news about that FBI agent that was arrested uh, for helping uh, a Russian oligarch, allegedly. So uh, Elliot, in the next segment, will help us break all of that down. Nick, what's going on your way, my friend? How is uh, it was good to catch up with Ellie. We'll talk about that in the second segment and in the wrap. But how are you doing? How's everything going your way, my friend? Uh, all all good here. You know, everyone's happy and healthy and all that good stuff. I'm I'm particularly excited about this episode because, you know, what Ellie hits on um, 
especially is getting to me today uh, as you know, we hear the news of a member of the House Foreign um, Affairs Committee being kicked off and um, but seeing members, some members of Congress who still get to talk and do whatever they want with um, with with no impunity or with, I guess, with impunity, I forget how that word works, but um, it's just hypocritical. And it, again, I like you, I, I don't it's not an R&D thing, but there really are some complete morons, for lack of a better word, uh, yeah. that are just talking loud in the house. And uh, it's infuriating. You know, coupled with what we, you know, we know we're gonna what we talked about with Ellie about people in power. And I'm just, yeah. Today I I come here just frustrated and just ashamed of some of the stuff that happens in my country sometimes, and how sometimes the most unintelligent voices are the ones that seem the loudest, and especially uh, in the halls of Congress right now. Yeah. Yeah, I echo a lot of that. Uh, and by the way, I wanted to give a quick housekeeping note because I was talking about some of these very same topics over on the muckrake political podcast go check that out type in muckrake political podcast into whatever audio podcast platform you listen to it's hosted by jared yates sexton and nick hauselman uh jared obviously has been on the program before i went over and filled in for jared who was away this week so the latest episode with nick and i over there not this nick that nick uh, as we were talking about some of these things over on that podcast so shout out to them and you can check out uh, that episode over there, available wherever you get your podcast. For this podcast, I'm with you, Nick. Let's get in, let's get into our first segment first, because there's a lot to get to. You and I, as we were getting set to talk about some of this stuff with the Foreign Affairs Committee and Ilion Omar's removal of it, and then I'm going to play some clips of the one and only, the representative that speaks for all of Judea and all of the Jewish people out there, George Santos, and what he said about some of this funny enough i've never heard him talk on the house floor we're going to play a soundbite from that in a second but that gets trumped nick because as we were recording this uh there was news that broke that the pentagon released saying there's tracking a spy balloon believed to be from china that's currently floating somewhere over the continental united states a balloon nick that is flying above commercial traffic and is not a threat to residents on the ground. Take a listen to the local news covering some of this in the area where uh, allegedly this balloon is over. Well, we just got off the line with Pentagon officials, senior defense officials who were uh, cluing us in to what they've been apparently watching for the last couple of days here over U.S. airspace. So I want to go through what we know at this hour. Basically that this balloon that they suspect is a Chinese spy balloon has been over U.S. airspace for the last few days, the government has been monitoring this balloon they suspect is a Chinese spy balloon, a senior defense official telling us that the U.S. is very confident that this came from China. They say that clearly the intent is for surveillance. U.S. officials uh, say this isn't the first time that they have sent a balloon over like this over U.S. territory and that this balloon has been over the U.S. for longer and higher than others previously that we know about. The Billings Gazette published a photo of the balloon. That's the local paper up there in Montana. Uh, and it's a large white balloon with a rough outline of what it looks like. What the balloon is used for, the Pentagon isn't, unfortunately, getting explicit about that. However, they just say that it is not a danger 
to commercial uh, flights. It did cause a little bit of chaos for air traffic control in Billings on Wednesday, but the Pentagon assured them that they could uh, re you know reestablish uh, once the U.S. fighter jets were seen flying in the area and making sure that everything was safe. President Biden was updated about this and was you know abreast of all this, and then the U.S. military opted to not shoot down the balloon, according to PBS NewsHour, because they don't want to run the risk of it landing on anything on the ground that would cause large debris and stuff like that. Once the balloon was detected, this is according to the Pentagon statement, the U.S. government acted immediately to protect against the collection of sensitive information. They feel it's of no threat right now. Nick, uh, nobody better than you. Yes, talk to me. Where's the... Where's the balloon currently or at last sighting? So at last sighting was by Billings, Montana, which is where, you know, oh. and that report that you heard was from News Nation and the local uh, correspondent there. And the Billings Gazette was the one that published the photo of the balloon. So let me get this straight. So it's over Billings, Montana. Mike, do you know how many people currently live in Billings, Montana as of 2021? I knew you were looking up something. How many people live in Billings, Montana, uh, Nick? 117,445 people. Well, that's a lot of people. A lot more than I expected. More. (laughs) Like, if you shoot this thing down, the odds of hitting someone or someone is highly unlikely. What are we doing? And it's not like Montana is that close to the West Coast. Clearly, this has come further. And I'm sorry, like folks listening in Montana on this show, I apologize. And to the great folks who live in Billings, obviously, I don't mean to, you know, make light of, you know, your fine people there. But shoot that shit down. Like, what are we talking about? Listen, I don't know what is happening with the U.S. government right now with respect to this particular instance, because Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is actually in the Philippines. Um, and so he was there to announce a new defense cooperation agreement with the country. Obviously, everything that's been happening in that region with respect to China and Taiwan. And now we find out about this. And uh, all of a sudden, it came down as we were recording this hot uh, hot air balloon. I thought it was. It is not a hot air balloon, folks. It is a balloon. And again, location right now, Nick, last spotted location was Billings, Montana. I don't know the rate of speed of where it's traveling to as of this recording. Who knows? where that balloon will be when you listen to this. Uh, so those are the best takes that we could give you right now, folks, from uh, defense experts Mike Leon and Nick Saveri. More on that story as that comes out with respect to why is it in our airspace? Why wasn't it shot down? We're going to try to get somebody on uh, that can speak to uh, Pentagon uh, foreign policy relations, all that stuff in the coming weeks because uh, this story just breaking. But let's get into our main topic. Nick, uh, speaking of balloons and speaking of some hot air, uh, there was a vote on the House floor as the House passed a resolution to remove a specific member of Congress from the Foreign Affairs Committee, Ilion Omar, the representative out of Minnesota, in a 218 to 211 party line vote. She was voted out of serving on this Foreign Affairs Committee. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what the Foreign Affairs Committee is, uh, because I got asked this on another show, uh, the committee is responsible for oversight and legislation relating to a bunch of things that happen in foreign territories, foreign assistance, including deployment assistance. They deal with the Peace Corps. They deal with, you know, our embassy securities, you know, public diplomacy, including international communication, information policy, international education, cultural programs, 
all of these things, you know, promoting democracy, you know, uh, abiding by international laws, broadcasting the board of governors, arms control and disarmament issues, peacekeeping, peace enforcement, all these things that are related to foreign policy and what we do abroad. This committee is responsible, again, oversight and legislation directly relating to some of those areas. Ilian Omar has made comments in the past in relation to Israel, and it's really in relation to Israel's treatment of Palestine's. And so, of course, if you say something bad about Israel and Palestine, and we've talked about this on the show about how a war correspondent didn't want to come on the program because of how sensitive, and this is a popular war correspondent who has his own show and his own pod on another network, did not want to come on the show to talk about something that is too uh, hot fire on the stove. Uh, talking about that kind of topic uh, will get you in some hot water. She put out something a while back. And obviously, House Republicans, you know, and Kevin McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy said that if we take power back, we will, the first thing we will do is remove Ilhan Omar from one of these committees, obviously, because of last year with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar getting removed from their committees. But again, not apples to apples or not even apples to oranges because of where those two folks live in the fruit universe, if we're keeping with the analogy, uh, because both of them, one of them, you know, hangs out with a white nationalist and Nick Fuentes and the other one uh, threatened to kill AOC, at least on his Twitter feed. So um, not really comparable, but, you know, I get why they would want to do this with respect to what they campaigned on. Funny enough, Nick, before I let you go, Representative Ilhan Omar and a bunch of other members in Congress, before this vote, they signed a resolution recognizing Israel as a legitimate and democratic ally and denouncing anti-Semitism. This was all before she got voted off of this committee. This resolution will further address uh, conspiracy theories about Jewish control over the media and politics, as well as dual loyalty accusations faced by American Jews. Um, there's a bunch in this resolution, again, that Josh Gottheimer is introducing. But it's funny that Ilhan Omar co-sponsored this and then she gets kicked off this committee. Real quick, the back and forth that took place on the House floor before the vote to kick Ilhan Omar off of the committee was something of interest. If you happen to watch C-SPAN during the day, sometimes I put that on. If you missed it, here's a highlight. Mr. Speaker, today I rise to congratulate my colleagues on voting to remove Representative Ilhan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. The passage of H.R. 76 sends a strong message that we support Israel and the Jewish community. I urge the 118th Congress to now stand together, proudly upholding every single American, no matter race, pedigree, religion, nor creed, as any less American than their neighbor that Jewish Americans are patriotic Americans, and that we all have a role in fighting bigotry and anti-Semitism in our country. We must make sure that the House of Representatives reflects such principles as a united body. I yield back. Madam Speaker, when I heard that we're going to remove a member of this House from their committee for anti-Semitism, I raced down here because I thought, finally, finally, in this chamber, there's going to be some accountability, some accountability from this conference that continues to allow its members to root for rioters, to show sympathy for the insurrection, a conference that harbors a wanted international criminal and has members who choose violence over voting every single day, finally. And so I thought, we're going to hold someone accountable for anti-Semitism. Surely it's the author of this tweet. Kanye Elon Trump, October 6th, written by Chairman Jim Jordan. October 8th, what does Kanye say? 
I'm going to declare DEFCON 3 on the Jews. So surely this tweet came down, right? Came down, was deleted. No. Two more months, it was kept up. So don't come here looking at us for anti-Semitism. Look in your own damn mirror before you ever come over here. Now, in fairness, I do want to say, in 2021, a group of Jewish House Democrats accused Omar of equating the U.S. and Israel with Taliban and Hamas, the Palestinian militant group. If you have not listened to some of our episodes on Israeli-Palestinian relations, uh, Omar said in response to all of that, that she was in no way equating terrorist organizations with democratic countries. All right, Nick, the, the parallels here of uh, the committee removals for uh, not only Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar from last year, we now know the committee assignments that they have this year. We're going to get to that in just a second. But uh, Ilian Omar being removed, everything you just heard there from the first voice was representative and everybody knows a, a popular member of the Jewish community, George Santos, uh, as he gave his comments there. Give me some of your takeaways on all of this. Yeah, at this point, we barely know if George Santos is his name. So it's hard for me to take him seriously, considering everything else he says is a lie. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is what politics in America is. It's not about whether people are qualified to be on a congressional committee. It's whether you have an R&D you know, in front of your name. Um, you know, Mike and I talk often on this show that we try to move away from political parties. Um, so I'm not surprised the Republicans found the target to um, to direct their ire to. So, you know, it went to a House vote and she lost. It's no different than when uh, Republicans had lost you know, under a democratically controlled House. Um, you know, where I do take issue with is you know, there are two members still on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and you can find this out if you go to House.gov. Uh, you can look at committees and then you can um, read further on who are current members. You know, and current members of the Foreign Affairs Committee include you know, Representative Ronnie Jackson. Uh, Ronnie Jackson, most fam- one of most famously known for um, being a target of the Oath Keepers on January 6th, but not in the way you think. Um, there were texts, according to CNN. Um, of members of the Oath Keepers making sure that Representative Jackson was kept safe because apparently he had, as they consider it, uh, critical information. Um, in fact, they specifically had said he had critical data to protect. Is uh, This is according to court documents. So someone who looks positive in the eyes of the Oath Keepers seems like someone I wouldn't want to have on the Congressional Committee, but that's just me. Uh, the other person famously on the committee is Representative Scott Perry, sadly, of my state of Pennsylvania, District 4. Scott Perry, you all remember as someone who was mentioned during the January 6th committee um, and notably was one of those folks who approached the White House about getting a pardon for, wait for it, presidential pardons for their for their role in attempting to overturn the presidential election results. This from the January 6th select committee revealed. So, again, I understand the process. I understand the game we're playing here. But it's hard to take that game seriously when people who are even far more despicable maintain their seats and they're the ones that we're not calling out. If you want to call Representative Omar an anti-Semite, by all means, I think you're wrong, but but by all means, go for it. Personally, I'm certainly more concerned about someone who would seek a pardon because of their role on January 6th. That person has no business being on any congressional committee, let alone being still in Congress uh, and to have someone like George Santos step forward, who has basically been a falsehood 
in all aspects since he's won his election. So much so that if you go back and actually ask voters, he is now overwhelmingly disfavored to be the constituent there. Uh, votes recently or, show, or polls recently showing people are having a form of buyer's remorse about uh, Congressman Santos. These are the people that Republicans are putting up there to talk or to be on to serve on these committees. And it just seems to me silly. But again, I resign myself to the fact that this is the game. And Representative Omar is an easy target. She was also the same target of former President Trump, who had said famously to um, send her back, I believe was the word that was used. This was also voiced by Dan Levitard in a very crazy and important rant that probably got him kicked off ESPN. Um, so, yeah, no, this is not a shocker. Yeah, I would. The only thing I would echo there is uh, obviously not painting the entire party with that brush. Obviously, we could talk about the outliers in that party. But uh, something I was saying on on the Muckrake podcast um, with Nick Hauserman over there was about being serious with committee assignments. And I'm glad you pointed out a few folks that are on these committees, just like Eric Swalwell did in that clip uh, talking about, hey, I thought if you want to get down to anti-Semitism, you know, we're posting a tweet about our party being aligned with Kanye and Elon. And now we know the comments of Kanye West that even Elon Musk, when he made those comments about the Jewish community, texted him. If you remember, Kanye posted a photo of Elon texting him and the messages that said, take it down or your account will be suspended. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, and for the people listening now that will talk about Eric Swallow and the Chinese spy, again, the FBI had investigated that and found no wrongdoing by the congressman. If you've got some other type of evidence, I sound like the guy from Unsolved Mysteries back in the day. Go ahead and call your local FBI office so they can investigate that. But nothing currently at the moment uh, with respect to that case. Uh, in terms of evidence about Eric Swalwell continuing that relationship with that woman or whatever it is. So, again, it's all theatrical stuff that we're seeing right now. But speaking of theatrics, nobody does it better than the congresswoman out of Georgia who represents the 14th district out there. I said this somewhere else. I forget where I'll say it here. Folks, look, and I'm not talking about the extreme racist folks in this country. I'm talking about level-headed, sensible people that live in the proverbial political middle. If you listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene talk and you live in that district and you are of the elk that I just mentioned of that political middle and you voted for her, I don't know why, but I would like for you to email us at canwepleasetalkpodcast.gmail.com to explain why you would vote for somebody that would say something like this. Can you tell me uh, how, much, how much COVID cash went to CRT? CRT? Critical race theory in education. It's, it's a racist right. uh, uh, curriculum used to teach children uh, that somehow their white skin is not equal to black skin and other things in education. Yeah. Uh, no, I do not know that, but I, I do know that there's f provisions that the uh, federal funds generally are not used, they're supposed to be used for curriculum. Oh, uh, that's a state. Oh, Mr. Dodaro, I have to tell you, in Illinois, that they, they received $5.1 billion um, at, at an elementary school there that, that used it for equity and diversity. Um, so it's, it's being used for these things. So a couple of things there before I let you go, Nick, uh, and please keep it organized here, Nick, uh, as best as you can, as you shake your head for the people that are not watching on YouTube. Um, the House Oversight Committee, speaking of another committee there in Congress, where Marjorie Taylor Greene sits on, 
she they were holding a hearing in which they had the Comptroller General Gene Dodaro uh, on to answer questions about the use of federal funding during the COVID-19 pandemic. All right, we're going to get to the bottom of the use of federal funding during the COVID-19 pandemic. Can't wait to hear about some of this. And then obviously, when each person gets their time allotted, uh, Representative Green had asked about this claim of a school in Illinois, her words, an elementary school in Illinois receiving $5.1 billion that they use it for equity and diversity training, equating it to critical race theory, which is obviously we've talked about ad nauseum from professors to even law school professors that have said it's a law school level education theory and it's been conflated with diversity education by a lot of people in the Republican Party. Some of them know what they're doing with respect to that. Marjorie Taylor Greene falls in the latter category. She clearly does not know that the two things are different. Um, it is true that Illinois received over $5 billion in education funding during the second round of COVID-19 relief in 2021 as part of the American Rescue Plan for elementary and secondary school relief programs. About $81 billion was distributed across the 50 states, and the money was split that $5.1 billion uh, plus in Illinois was split amongst 851 school districts in the state. Um, Nick, this is what I'm talking about and what we just talked about previously, having serious members of committees that are looking into things that we should potentially look into if there was misappropriation or something that was nefarious that was done. Uh, if we're going to look at and have serious conversations and people on committees to look at the use of federal funding here in the U.S. during the COVID-19 pandemic. We've seen about the abuse of PPP loans by different people. Once that money got distributed, I'm all for that. But when we have Marjorie Taylor Greene conflating two things that are not the same, and like I saw in a Twitter post, somebody said maybe if some of that money had gone to the Georgia schools when she was going back then, maybe she could have learned a little bit more of inclusion um, give me some of your takes as somebody in the education space. You know that obviously not one elementary school is ever going to get $5.1 billion. She clearly must misspoke there, or maybe she didn't. And she really doesn't know because she's got these things written down all for a gotcha moment, all to get caught, you know, on camera. This is all televised events on C-SPAN. And she knows that on social media, it will be posted everywhere. And this will live in her campaign videos going after people, you know, and, and CRT, right? The buzzword phrase. Give me some of your takeaways on, on this that came out as well uh, as this committee hearing just happened uh, this past week. Yeah, I'm glad you just played out the scenario of what happens with that soundbite. Um, you know, I came on this show I came on today's episode already in a pretty bad mood. And I think you've sort of helped contribute to that in, the, in that you're absolutely right. So we're going to have this clip played. Uh, people who are dumb enough, honestly, um, to believe these things are going to hear it. And what they're going to hear is her just simply saying it. And there are people in this country foolish enough to think that whatever she says, and this is true about any politician in general, folks. I think we're at a place now where any time a politician simply says something with a certain level of authority, it is your right as an American. It is something you should be doing to fact check it. And they won't. So in in this clip, we'll live um, ad infinitum on on social media. And it's, it may well play a role in 
in in her campaign. Um, Mike, as you brought up, yes, the state of Illinois received five billion, you know, in those funds. Um, but if we're going to talk about misappropriation of funds, um, you know, when I think about that, I think most famously of who we talked to about the story about Brett Favre, which correct me if I'm wrong, has yet to be talked about at a federal level. I think there's a level of investigation going on, but I'm not seeing any congressional hearing. And that seemed that was even more egregious because it's flat out. We're taking money for welfare and directing it to a sports stadium. And everything I just said there, folks, is factually correct. So five billion goes to the state of Illinois for pandemic relief of that five billion. There are several schools. So we're going to carve this up. A fraction of that goes to a particular elementary school. To say that the use of these funds for diversity and inclusion or equity and inclusion, which, by the way, if you dig a little further, where that shows up for that school is not a curriculum matter. It's in the form of training. It's in the form of making sure students all have access to a, to a strong education. But that's what these this form of conservatives are outraged against. Concepts like equity. Things that people should have access to. The most ignorant of people look at that concept and say, well, that seems unfair, Uh, as in the case of Marjorie Taylor Greene. When she asked the question, you know, of this money going to CRT, like, what are we talking about here? There is nothing in the state of Illinois, nor in any of these 50 states level, 50 states worth of curriculum that's going to point to an intentional curriculum built around critical race theory. I can't believe we're still having this conversation. What I don't even understand is when that person's being interviewed, and I ask this for anyone who is in front of Congress, how do you restrain yourself that when a bozo comes forward and asks something that is so soaked in ignorance that you just simply say, can you get me someone who's actually intelligent that I can have a conversation with? Like, honestly, like who does her research? Is it just a group of monkeys in an office somewhere like Mr. Burns has in an episode of The Simpsons banging out a, you know, one of the great novels? I, it, it's just inconceivable to me that someone that ignorant, A, is a publicly elected official. That means she's making money <laughs> from people in the state of Georgia that your tax dollars go to. Uh, but again, some, you know, enough people vote for her for this. But to be so ignorant and to be allowed to ask that question, I guess you're ask anything you want and there's nothing backing it. So I, I just wondered to the person who's being questioned, why don't you just stop her? Because he, he looks befuddled at that question, like CRD. Ask her, can you cite what you're talking about? Because that piece of paper looks like you just scribbled something. So, I, yeah, I saw that. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not surprised. It certainly ticked me off because. It's perpetuating a really dangerous thing that we're seeing that's playing out in the state of Florida right now. And we're at a point where all it's just doing is getting books pulled off shelves and it's getting people scared. And quite honestly, folks, if you are white and you hear critical race theory and and you perceive it to be a curriculum that says you are inferior to black people, that's a you problem because that means you haven't read anything. If you're dumb enough to think that there's any curriculum out there that's valid, that makes one race less important than another i there's a bridge in brooklyn i'd like to sell you right now well well, listen i want i want to act echo a lot of that i will say something else that i said and and it's back to we were talking about dan lebitar you just mentioned him a second ago it's when they had michelle tafoya on the former nbc sports anchor that she was talking about you know uh some stuff that her kids are coming home with right 
uh, and, you know, when pushed on it, couldn't produce sound evidence of what that stuff is. It's the same thing when we had Mike Emanuel on and he went to Landon County to interview folks at this board meeting. What is it that they're giving your kids and specifically how old are your kids? Look, if we want to have the broader conversation about I don't think a six, seven, eight, nine year old is equipped to handle certain things with respect to teaching them about. I don't even know what it is, but if you want to make an argument about the development of kids at that age versus when they get older, make that argument, but show us materials that are, and school districts that are specifically implementing it because that's their big takeaway, right? Their big takeaway is this is happening right now. Not it will happen. It is happening. There is no evidence to suggest that it is happening. So we need to see the evidence uh, of that it is happening. If if you truly have it, give it up, show it. We can easily have conversations about that, but nobody wants to come to this uh, civil uh, point right here in terms of conversations around this stuff. We need to have more open comment. I'm not talking about the people that are extremely racist and want you and I to leave this country, Nick. Those folks are beyond gone. There's no getting to them, probably. Uh, I'm talking about the people that truly feel... Somewhere in this, I don't know if my kid can handle some of this stuff. I'm not saying that I'm I'm racist, this and that, because that's always the, the go to line. Uh, you know, I'm all, OK. I'm maybe I can meet you there, but we've got to have a conversation. You got to show me what it is that is so questionable. We leave it there. When we come back after the break, our buddy, he is one of the best legal analysts out there on television. Don't take me and Nick's word for it or my dad's word for it, who listens to him all the time. Ellie Honig, the senior legal analyst over at CNN and author of the new book, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. Ellie's new book is out now wherever books are sold. Go pick it up and check out Ellie with us when we come back after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. 
Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here. Tell these people why fresh roasted coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk? You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can, you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what fresh roasted coffee do- offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you could choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cu- what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press, or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. No, that's very well said. And all of this is available at freshroastedcoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with fresh roasted coffee, but you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. All you got to do is enter in the promo code Can We Get 20 at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, everyone's favorite legal analyst, well, maybe just me and my family, but and Nick's family too, but he is a senior legal analyst over at CNN. He's the author of a brand new book out. You know, we buy his books. We encourage all of you to go out there and get it wherever books are sold. It's called Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. I can't think of anybody better to break down not only legal news, but tell us how powerful people are getting away with it than our buddy, Ellie Honig. Ellie, Mike and Nick, thanks for hopping back on the podcast with us. Mike and Nick, thank you for having me. I, I want to proffer that I fall somewhere on the range between everyone's favorite legal analyst and just you two and your families. I hope there's some <laughs> middle ground there where I can fall. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, we've got that Rutgers connection. Always. And uh, uh, thanks for thanks for having me. I'm yeah, glad. absolutely. And Scarlet Knights for our recording here, one last night. So we are happy and in this recording. Um, Ellie, we're going to talk a little bit about the book here. We're going to talk about some, some legal news and get your takes on it and your expertise. First, uh, for the audience that's tuning in, we've been seeing you doing the, the press tour now with respect to the book, How Powerful People Get Away With It. Like I mentioned, uh, to classify Docs Month that just happened in D.C., there's a bunch of powerful people in the news that are getting away with things. What, tell our audience about the book and, and what compelled you to write about it from, from your expertise. So I'll tell you the story of how I wrote this book. Uh, my first book was about Bill Barr and what he, how he corrupted the Justice Department, in my view. And shortly after that came out, my publisher, HarperCollins, said, what do you want to do next for book number two? And I said, I don't really have any great ideas at the moment. And they said, well, why don't you take a couple you know, days or week? Think about this. What question do people ask you the most through CNN, through your writing, um, through your podcast? And I said, oh, I don't, I don't need to take it a couple of days. I'll tell you right now. How does he get away with it? Um, that's easy. Now, who it is can vary. A lot of times it's Donald Trump. There's many people beyond Donald Trump who people ask that about. And I thought, well, I could probably do give a good shot at answering that. And what I do in the book is I pull together my own experience as a prosecutor, lots of stories about trials I did and um, challenges that I faced. Not all of them come out with me as the hero, I'll tell you that. Um, I also sort of studied what's happened in our legal system over the last several years, looked at the laws, some of the big cases. 
And I have original reporting in this book. I tell some of the behind the scenes stories of what happened at DOJ and the Southern District of New York, my former office, and why they failed to prosecute Donald Trump as soon as he left office for the hush money crimes, which is now right back in the news because it turns out we're learning just this week that the DA, the, the state prosecutor across the street, is now reconsidering charging for that very same hush money scheme. Ellie, you mentioned, you know, focusing on this last couple of years, obviously it's the subject of the book out now, but have you felt that there have been precedents or changes in the legal system that have made our most powerful, even more beneficiaries or more likely to be protected? For sure. So I I really, if I had to lay blame for for how we got here, I I would put it three different places, combination. One is on our very laws and and our processes that inherently favor powerful people. I'll give you an example of that in a minute. Another is on those savvy bosses, Donald Trump being among them, who know how to exploit those advantage. And third, I do point the fingers at prosecutors. I was a prosecutor. I believe in prosecutors, but I also believe the prosecutors are not above criticism. Let me give you one example of the law. You asked about the law, Nick. Um, For all the division that we've seen ideologically and politically on the Supreme Court over the last several years, conservatives over here, liberals over here, one thing that they have all agreed on is narrowing down the scope of our public corruption criminal laws. We've seen uh, a series of decisions over the last six years or so that have steadily narrowed down the scope of how those corruption laws can be applied. And these have been unanimous decisions. It's the only time you're going to see Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan on the same page as Justice Alito and Justice Thomas. And and Congress, I should add, could fix this. They could pass new laws. They could expand on what they've done and say, no, we did mean this to be a broader law, but they've not done so. And as a result of those two things, we have not seen a major federal prosecution under any of these corruption laws that have been impacted for really the past six years since this trend began. So that's one trend that works in favor of of powerful people. There's many more in the book that I lay out that are either legal or or sort of the way prosecutors practice as well. Ellie, I am uh, mystified at the question that people asked you about how powerful people get away with it, because my question would have been, and let's ask Ellie Honig this, how do we fix the criminal justice system in America? You've been involved so many court cases, you teach law now to the up and coming folks that want to get into this. Now you're writing about a book about the screw ups. In essence, um, how do we fix the criminal justice system or, or, or the legal system overall in America? So there's no one you know, easy sort of silver bullet fix here. But I think responsibility lies in a lot of places. One is, like I said, there are shortcomings in our laws that I think the courts need to do better on. Uh, prosecutors need to do better. Prosecutors, um, I argue in the book, there are several cases where prosecutors essentially backed away from difficult cases, challenging cases, cases against powerful people, against political people, because they didn't have the stomach, because they didn't want to take the political risk. Um, there are prosecutorial practices that favor powerful people. I write in the book about how it is policy at DOJ that people who uh, who may draw significant press attention if they're convicted, those cases have to go through more levels, higher levels, more rigorous scrutiny. That's a built-in inequity. So there's a lot of people who have a lot. And look, let's, let's not lose focus here. Primary blame is on the wrongdoers. Primary blame is on criminal bosses, people who commit these crimes and exploit it. So, you know, but that's always going to be part of our, our world here in the United States. You can't talk criminals out of criming, uh, but you can fix laws and prosecutorial practice. Yeah, you just mentioned the current attorney general, and, and you've been critical of him in the past. You know, 
when you talk about political pressure, so let's step into the shoes of Merrick Garland for a moment. You know, because we've heard often from the Biden administration that they have tried to do, a, they are doing a better job of keeping that distance between the White House and the than DOJ. Yep. But what, in your estimation, about Merrick Garland seems to cause a dragging of the feet? Because we saw a contrast between the appointment of the special counsel uh, to investigate what Trump was doing, you know, in terms of the documents um, in Florida. You know, versus the expediency of what we just saw recently with the current president. What's yep. your assessment of, of what sort of uh, causes him to move at the different speeds that he does? So I praise Merrick Garland to some extent in this book. I think Merrick Garland has done a good job of reestablishing many of DOJ's core ideals. He's been honest. He hasn't lied to us in contrast to his predecessor, Bill Barr. Um, and he's done a good job of reconfirming DOJ's political independence. There was an incident that I write about in the book maybe a year ago or so, a little less, when Joe Biden said publicly that he hoped that uh, people who defied their subpoenas from the January, January 6th committee would be prosecuted. And immediately, DOJ, to their credit, issued a public statement saying, essentially, we don't take prosecutorial orders from anybody, including the president. And I say bravo to DOJ for taking that stance. So Merrick Garland absolutely deserves praise for that. I'm critical of his investigative style and the way he's handled his criminal cases, um, I believe he's been myopic. He's taken a short view. He is overly bureaucratic in the way he goes about it. Look at January 6th. Here we are two plus years out from January 6th. He's charged, yes, 900, 1,000 people who stormed the Capitol. Good. Those are important cases. They've done a good job of those. Not perfect, but good. Um, not a single person anywhere near any position of power has been charged. That might change. But he's already wasted two years, and that matters. And Merrick Garland, one of his favorite things he says is, well, we start at the bottom and we work our way up. That sounds good at first blush, but that's not what good prosecutors do. You start at the highest point you're capable of starting. And a lot of times you can start in the middle or darn near the top. And in this case, there's no reason why Merrick Garland couldn't have gotten to and shouldn't have gotten to witnesses like Cassidy Hutchinson and Mark Short and Pat Cipollone three months after he took office. Immediately. Instead, he sat back and spent all his time on the people who, who broke the windows. Meanwhile, the January 6th committee gets to all those people first. And only after that does Merrick Garland get to them. So his his pace has been unex, uh, sort of uh, inexplicably and I think indefensibly slow. And that's not just a matter of me being impatient or people being impatient. That's a matter of the longer you take, the harder this is going to be. Because you still have to try this case. Even if Merrick Garland indicts Donald Trump or something, you're not going to. It's going to be a year until trial with all the all the motions and appeals that's going to happen. Now you're talking about trying Donald Trump and asking a jury unanimously, 12-0, to convict beyond a reasonable doubt not only a very popular but also very unpopular former president for the first time in our history, but a guy who by 2024 is going to be in the middle of a and perhaps who knows a front runner for the next presidential nomination at the Republican Party. And I think that delay is going to have a real cost when it comes to the bottom line trial decision. And I know trials. I tried a lot of cases. Jur People say, well, but juries are going to put aside their, no, I mean, juries, jurors are human beings uh, and they're subject to all of the biases and prejudices and fears that any normal human being is subject to. So uh, I'm, I'm critical of Merrick Garland in that respect. I say in the book, he, he could have gone for the jugular, but instead he poked at every capillary. Very well said there. Uh, Ellie, I want you to put back on your DOJ hat here for a second, because uh, you were just talking about jurors. They are voters as well. And voters don't know the difference between certain things. We played a clip 
of you on Anderson Cooper uh, a while ago talking about the Biden classified docs uh, scandal, for lack of a better term. Now, obviously, we have Mike Pence in the classified documents that were found at the former vice president's home. Um, if you're looking at this and, and I'm only asking this because we had a former FBI agent talk about how many people, millions of people, four million people to have access to classified documents, you know, based on whatever their clearance is. Yep. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, which one of these cases, because there's differences in all of them and volume of documents doesn't necessarily mean what's in those documents sure. themselves. Yep. Which one of these cases is the most egregious to less egregious? And obviously it's a, it's a cluster of, of mishandling, but what should the American yep. public be focused on with respect to the, the details of all of these three? So first of all, you're right, and your guest was right. The classification system, people think that this is some orderly index system where we have like a central register of classified documents. Not at all. We have dozens and dozens of individuals, entities, agencies that have access to classified documents that can classify, declassify, raise, or lower a classification. It's so common that classification classified information leaks out of the government. There's a word for it. We call it spillage. Um, it's not as if you can just, again, if you were a public library and you could go, gee, where's this book? It's missing. Oh, let's see. Oh, Mike Leon signed it out on February 10th. Um, it doesn't work that way. And so it's not really all that surprising that there are classified documents now turning up in the homes and offices of people who had access to them. I'm not making an excuse because you do have an obligation to handle them properly, which clearly none of the three satisfied. Um, each of these cases will rise and fall on its own merits. And you're exactly right. The, the key to me is not, it doesn't really so much matter the volume of documents. It's all legally about knowledge and intent. Did the person know those documents were in their possession and had been, had been taken? And did they have some kind of criminal intent? If I had to rank them based on what we know now, which let's all acknowledge is incomplete. Um, Trump is the most culpable. He has the most documents. He uh, refu did not cooperate with the FBI. His lawyers made false statements to the FBI about whether they turned them all over. Um, so I think Trump is, is clearly on the high end. I think Biden's in the middle, but a big gap, um, again, based on what we know. And I think Pence so far is on the bottom because what, what differentiates Biden is he and his team made misleading and incomplete public statements. There was a time when they said um, documents were found in the office, but they also knew that documents had been found in the home and they let they left that out. Um, and it's taken several searches over. They did a search and they said there was no documents. Then the FBI did a search and found a few documents. So Biden has um, has made things more difficult on himself through his sort of inconsistent and incomplete, his team's incomplete, inconsistent and incomplete public statements. And that is part of what raised DOJ's antenna and got a special counsel appointed. Thus far, as far as we know on Pence, um, he, his team disclosed the documents and we don't know of any real detail beyond that at this point. There's no indication at this point that he's stonewalled or that he has made incomplete public statements. So, um, so, you know, Merrick Garland's gonna have to weigh all of these. As a practical matter, I think you probably can differentiate, but as a political matter, and I very much believe in the realities of the prosecutorial world, Merrick Garland, I think, is going to be very, very wary of the possibility of indicting Donald Trump on a documents case and not indicting Joe Biden or Mike Pence on a documents case. I think that's going to make him very uneasy. Ellie, we'd be remiss not to bring up um, maybe one of the most recent things that we've seen that may be potentially you know, protecting powerful people, which is the infestation within the FBI, or at least in the in the form of one agent and Charles McGonigal, um, you know, working in behalf on behalf of a Russian oligarch with ties to uh, President Putin. Um, when you think about 
you know, what prevents powerful people from getting in trouble in this country? You know, what is the role of something like that? You just that we just um, that I'm just sharing here in terms of that infestation of other moneyed political interests uh, in some of our federal agencies. So in my view, money and politics, uh, excuse me, uh, money, politics and prosecution are a toxic mix. Um, I was lucky that I only ever worked for appointed prosecutors. Federal prosecutors are all appointed or hired. There's no electing uh, of federal prosecutors. And in New Jersey, the state AG is appointed. But most AGs across the country, most county level DAs are elected and they have to raise funds as a result of that. And I give examples in the book of cases where DAs made very questionable decisions in favor of people who had turned out at given big campaign donations. One of the big offenders here is Cy Vance, who the, the former DA of Manhattan, who gave Harvey Weinstein a pass at first, who gave the Trump children a pass at first. And turns out in both cases, he had accepted healthy political donations from people who represented them or people around them. And then in, in the Trump case, tried to return it after he got found out and then later took a bigger donation and then got caught and returned that. Um, so he really, I think, uh, drew out the problems that we have um, I look, there's no there's not much likelihood of changing this, but I, I think all of our prosecutors should be appointed. It's not perfect, but having prosecutors be elected and introducing that aspect of money to me is is toxic and undermines confidence in the system. The best legal analysts out there, according to Carlos Leon, who lives in Connecticut and Michael, Leon, right. his son, who hosts this podcast. He is Sounds the host right. of the third degree podcast, a senior legal analyst over at CNN and author of the new book untouchable how powerful people get away with it you can get it wherever books are sold ellie you know you always have a home here can we please talk thank you so much for hopping on the podcast continue success with the book and please stay safe thanks so much guys really appreciate it appreciate both of you thank you for having me nick today's sponsor of the podcast is 800 florals nick when was the last time you bought your your wife your beautiful wife laura when's the last time you bought her flowers no, it's not recent enough, man. Well, see, there we go. Why, why, and how come? Let's let's get into that. Forget the copy for a second. How come? <laughs> I mean, I buy all kinds of different gifts. Um, so flowers sometimes slips my mind. Uh, you know, we do have a rose bush in the back. So like, you know, we've got some pretty flowers coming in, but I don't make that intentional pursuit of it, though. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm looking to you for ideas, though, of okay. where to go get them. Well, I have one. And folks, you should not copy Nick Zavera. You should be getting flowers for that special somebody that you love. And let me tell you a little bit about 800 Florals. There are roughly 20,000 professional florists in North America that design and deliver fresh flowers on a daily basis. 1-800-Florals is one of those. They've been around for more than 20 years. You can shop products occasions check out flower delivery you can even arrange a thoughtful gift of monthly flowers for that special someone you heard that nick so you can set on auto subscribe here and get monthly flowers delivered to laura's job and you'll be thought of highly over there now uh all you got to do is head to our show notes page right now to find out more about 800 florals there's a link in our show notes page it'll take you right to them use that link and you're going to get a special discount when you check out and buy those fresh flowers. Check out 800florals.com today. All right, our thank yous there to Ellie Honig. Seriously, go check out the book, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. It's available wherever books are sold. Support your local bookstores, of course, as our friend Jared Yates Sexton would tell you. Um, we love Ellie, obviously, senior CNN senior legal analyst, been on the show a bunch. But also, if you want to learn more about legal news and taking out the politics, he just mentioned there, great question by Nick, 
about politics, money, all of this kind of interweaving, check out Ellie's uh, podcast, The Third Degree Podcast. It's fantastic because it analyzes the legal news of the week. Uh, there's a note to the cafe community. It's over on the Vox Cafe podcast network. So you can go check that out. It's one of the, my favorite podcasts to really hear Ellie break down the legal news of the week, right? I mean, as a as a, a legal beagle who's not in the field, but wanted to be a lawyer once upon a time, it's one of my favorite podcasts. So go check it out and go get Ellie's book wherever books are sold. Nick, we're wrapping here. Um, your takeaways on not only the book, because I know you have read it, but obviously some of the news that's playing out and how apropos it is that Ellie's book is coming out with a title that says how powerful people are getting away with it. And we're seeing some powerful people right now in the news that potentially could get away with some stuff. You know, I, I go back even further, you know, from recent events. I think about I mean, most recently Deshaun Watson comes to mind. I think about OJ Simpson. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it with Ellie, but what comes to mind also is the power of celebrity, you know, and influence. And in, in the presence of a jury, you know, does that play a role? Do people look at folks like that? I mean, not that Watts ever stood in front of a jury, but um, you know, does that also play a role too? But Ellie, one thing I'll say about Ellie's book that feels a little different than um, Hatchet Man, which is about Bill Barr, is what came to mind for me as a good comparison of this book is Freakonomics. Um, for anyone who read that book that talks about, you know, just things that you wouldn't normally think explain why certain things take place. Um, this book does a little of that, but it's doing it from the standpoint of the Department of Justice. So it's a super readable book. I'm almost done with it. Um, but the chapters are laid out so you can just jump to different places. And Ellie does a great job of telling this from the lens of his personal experience, but then also is really able to help unpack. It's a little like, I think of a movie like The Big Short, right? Where in the middle of the movie, there's moments where you pause and you have to really unpack you know, the specific process that's going on, but doing it in a way that is very accessible. Folks like Michael Lewis do, and I thought uh, Ellie did a very similar uh, strategy, specifically um, at the highest level of justice in our country. And and in many ways, it's a little disheartening because it does confirm, I think, things that we've all thought about. And Jared Sexton, who's been on the show, probably would confirm this too, is you know, it just doesn't feel like the, the legal system works both ways fairly, you know, and the idea of justice being blind, that statue of the woman with, you know, the tip scales, it seems as though, not seems, I think Ellie's book confirms this, that it's not an equal balance and your, right. <laughs> who you are in the society matters and how much you're worth seems to play a role in the eyes of prosecutors and, and other people who make up uh, the Department of Justice and other elements of our legal system. Yeah. No, very well said. Uh, Ellie, I have not gotten my copy yet, uh, so don't worry. I am. It's already in transit, so once I get it, I will read it. But you should go out there, go get Ellie's book right now, wherever books are sold. Untouchable, how powerful people get away with it. Um, if you want to watch the video of our interview with Ellie Honig, head over to our YouTube channel. Type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. Hit the subscribe button for me, please, and follow our show so you can get more content from some of the guests that have been on this program. Also, Check us out on our social media app partnership with the good folks over at Braid. Download Braid right now in the app store, B-R-A-I-D. Create a profile and you can see Ellie uh, doing some exclusive content for us over on Braid. So shout out to that. We have the after the talk and before the talk segments over on Braid. Audio podcast platforms, you know them by now, Apple, Spotify, Google, Good Pods. Shout out to everybody who listens to us all across these platforms. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform say platform one more time mike you get a free uh wendy's frosty uh, as always i am mike leon and i'm nick Saveri. we'll see everybody next time
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.